You are now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right, here we are. We are into that second week, coming up on third week of September. It is crazy. We are having some pretty darn schizophrenic, funky, weird weather going on here. I'm in the mountains of Utah at the moment. Had a great trip out to Florida last week, right? You guys remember? Flow, right? Duh. <laughs> Had a work week over there and it was blazing hot. Got back here and it was in the 30s and 40s at night and uh, 50s in the day. And I thought, holy moly, I'm back to winter. It's too early. <laughs> Thank goodness no snow yet. I've been able to get out on the bike, hitting some mountain trails, which has been amazing. I've been spending a bunch of time with my mom and uh, what a gift she is to this world. It's been so great. Also celebrated my daughter's birthday last week. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful time to be alive, right? To be able to spend time with family. That's the secret sauce, the secret ingredient. and may even add up to seven or even 10 years to your life. That relationship factor, having close-knit family or friends that you like to spend time with, the data backs this. It's, it's such an amazing thing. I hope you and yours are doing great, that you're winding down the summer, getting ready for an amazing fall. I'm so grateful. I'm going to be here to see some color change in the mountains, on the trees, the leaves, and all that fun stuff coming up real shortly. And I just wanted to thank you for being here, for being a part of this show. It's just an amazing opportunity to share with you what I'm learning, what I'm loving, what I'm living, because this stuff is what I do day in and day out, sharing the good word of natural health and healing and thriving, not just simply surviving. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of the show. I want to reach out to uh, Patricia, who just dropped me a five-star review over on Apple. Thank you so much, Patricia. She says, quote, Dr. Hemingway, I can't thank you enough for this podcast on the thyroid. I have a great alternative medicine doctor and, oh my gosh, this is so cool because she learned some stuff. She knows all about the thyroid and she learned some cool new stuff on my podcast this uh, past week. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Patricia. I appreciate you so much. She says, I learned even more about taking care of my thyroid tonight on this terrific podcast. The mention about iodine and fibrocystic breast problems was worth so much to me. Many thanks. Well, many thanks to you, Patricia. Thank you so much. You will be entered to win a free copy of my book. We're winding down the last week of the reviews. Uh, drop your review over on Apple where I can see it or or rate it and, and tag me wherever else you might review it. I so appreciate you all because that is what moves the needle. That's how we get the word out to this show so more people can benefit from this great information. So thanks in advance for liking, sharing, and subscribing so you never miss an episode and then drop a review because I read every single one. And if you do so, I'll enter you in to win a drawing of my free book, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health, which is still available on Amazon, which is a whole story in and of itself. It's uh, uh, what a journey this has been and to have this out for you to grab and to use as a resource in your life so that you can also thrive. Uh, just can't wait. And actually right now, many of you may have participated this past week. My wife, Brooke, and I did an amazing free webinar on all things health, how you can thrive in your daily life. That was free. If you didn't get a uh, chance to see that, go ahead and message me over on Facebook or email me at alohasurfdoc at gmail.com and I'll make sure you get access to that recording because in that we drop some truth bombs on how you can live 
healthy and thrive in your life. And also a cool new program that we're just going to be starting actually this week. It's a 60-day program where you will be with Brooke and I, and it's limited to only 30 people. So this will fill up quickly. If you don't know about this, it's all... um, on that webinar, or you can message me over on Instagram at Dr. Thomas Hemingway. That's Dr. Like Dr. Thomas Hemingway, or on Facebook, Thomas Hemingway, or all the places, Thomas Hemingway, or just email me at alohasurfdoc at gmail.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions. And without further ado, we're going to get into an amazing episode with, uh, oh my gosh, such a brilliant gal, Danielle. Ah, she is so cool. In fact, uh, she wrote a book with uh, a real cool dude named Taro, and they uh, put together this book called Healing Adaptogens, which is a bestseller. I don't know if you've heard about it, but you got to grab a copy. Healing Adaptogens, super cool book. They talk all about cool stuff like mushrooms and herbs and how you can benefit from these things in your life. And this was such a fun chat because I do not consider myself an expert in herbology or adaptogens. And so I learned so much from this conversation. I think you will too. And what was cool to me is I'm actually using many of these adaptogens already in my health regime. And thanks to Danielle and her partner, Taro, and their work, I'm actually including even more, including some mushrooms um, and some real cool products like this uh, evening hot cocoa that I, I drink that's really cool has some medicinal mushroom in there and we just get into the science behind adaptogens and how they can benefit you and your life so you can really just be thriving and feeling great each and every day so without further ado we're going to get into this episode with danielle ryan broida so here we go all right today we have an amazing guest who is not only a master herbalist but a co-author of a book just released And this is a book that I think you'll all benefit from called Healing Adaptogens. And it's super exciting. Lots of cool stuff in there. We have today with us, Danielle Ryan Broida on the show. Danielle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. Awesome. Such a pleasure. I've been waiting for this chat because you're just so, so skilled in this area of herbs and adaptogens and just a lot of stuff. I think it's it's a great time for this because if I would have had you on 10 years ago, people would be like, adaptogens. What? <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people now have this in their vernacular and we're kind of thinking more about it. You know, we've all heard of some of the common ones that are out there that we'll, I'm sure, speak of a bit, but I would love to hear a little bit about you and how you came to this and where you got interested in studying herbs and just kind of tell me more about the journey. Yeah. A uh, very organic journey. As I like to say, I was one of those kids that everyone had a very set path, except me. They're like, I'm going to go to med school and be a doctor, or I'm going to be a marine biologist or whatever it was. And here I am, I'm like, one minute I'm a yoga teacher, and then I'm doing detox coaching, and then I'm in nutrition school. And then I'm in, I mean, it was just like all over the place. Um, And when I think about the connection between it all, it's really about the earth. I was been a big environmentalist from the time I was a little girl, and became a plant-based eater when I was eight years old um, and just had this kind of innate desire to be outside, to be connected to the earth, to be barefoot. And that was really the guiding light through every uh, weird offshoot of my chapter. And um, in undergrad, I went to go study environmental studies and philosophy and big realm within the environmental sphere. And I got really into food and growing food organic farming. I lived at a permaculture farm for a while and did the whole off the grid, you know, fully sustainable 
harvesting your own rainwater and building cob houses and animal husbandry and the whole nine yards. Um, and it was really through that chapter when I was doing this off the grid living in an amazing community that I realized the medicine component was a big gap in this ability to not rely on the system or the man and be self-sustainable and grow your own food. And it was like when someone would get hurt or had a headache, there was still a little tub that had, you know, our ibuprofens and our band-aids and the Neo in there and whatever other medicines were there. And it's like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? You know, if we really want to be able to um, support ourselves off the land, where is this medicine piece? And at that point it was just a seed that was planted of, of what is, you know, what does that look like? And I ended up moving to Asia after my undergrad. I was there for about three and a half years. Um, and I was working for a travel company leading uh, these backcountry adventures. So I'd take people three weeks at a time into di- three different hill tribe villages, very rural, like no running water, no toilet paper. You are foraging everything you're eating. And we would go out. I'd go out with my host mama and we'd go forage, you know, fiddlehead ferns or mushrooms. Um, and it was both for food and medicine. And it was kind of my first real life exposure to using the earth as medicine. Uh, and I just, it kind of started me down this path. I became so fascinated and wondered why this wasn't a bigger part of, of my upbringing or even my environmental education. And so I started kind of delving into um, where I could learn from the source that felt really important. So learning about Ayurveda in India. And um, I went to Indonesia and worked with a naturopath for a while there uh, and was like, how can I, what does it look like for me within this realm of, of herbal plant medicine? Um, and after a few years in Asia, I decided to uh, move back to the States to formalize my studies. And I went to grad school at the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. Amazing amazing program. And, um, yeah, even then I, I think I've always been looking for like, what's missing here. You know, you, you taught the whole picture. It's like, wait, but, but where are the holes? And within the, the program that I was in, there was very, very little conversation around mushrooms. Um, and just happen chance, all sorts of, you know, just organic things that happen and people that come in your path. I started growing mushrooms at home and being really fascinated by, by mushrooms as plant medicine. And uh, I was like, why aren't we talking about this? Um, so I kind of had this rogue exploration on my own around it. And when I opened my private practice, uh, the theme, and I'm sure you've heard stories like this, but people would come to me and are like, Hey, I've tried everything and you're my last resort. So what can you do? What, what do you have for me? And it was, you know, a lot of autoimmunity or misdiagnosed autoimmunity, chronic illness, um, and a lot that had to do with gut health and the immune system. Uh, and so I really started specializing and focusing on functional mushroom-based treatments. Um, I'd make my own formulations for every client. And it was amazing. The results I was seeing people that had tried uh, different modalities or different herbs for decades, some of them, you know, for 50 plus years and nothing had, had worked. And, and these mushrooms were really starting to raise vitality, right. And this really baseline kind of, they're known as chi invigorators and TCM and Ayurveda. And so I, I fell in love with the mushroom medicine and really wanted to 
bring that to a larger audience. I'm like, why do people still mushrooms were not cool when I was doing this? You know, now we're having like a shroom boom. But then maybe, maybe that maybe not that kind of mushroom. Mushrooms have always been cool, but I think true. <laughs> we're functional, thinking about those <laughs> functional <laughs> mushrooms were not that cool. The reishis and chagas of the world. People were like, yeah, the, the psilocybin varieties, but that yeah, was yeah. what I was working with. And Anyways, I actually found um, Four Sigmatic uh, about five years ago, looking for an easy way for my clients to consume the mushroom medicine in the ancestral way. So something really important to me as an herbalist is bringing these ancient traditions into our modern world, but keeping the lineage alive. So using the mushrooms, there's very specifics with mushrooms, but using the right part, the right dosage, extracting so that they're bioavailable to the body. Uh, and Forcematic was the only brand at the time that was really offering law-grown, wild-harvested mushrooms that were extracted in this dual method and prepared in a way that um, was edible, right? This was also part of the the tradition of using them as we taste our medicine, right? That's where, where it starts. And so Anyways, I never thought I'd work for a brand. I always did my own thing. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and I ended up joining forces with Four Sigmatic almost five years ago um, and have worn every hat from educator to formulator. Now I do innovation um, and really just looking to expand this, this amazing lineage and offer it in a really accessible way uh, for people that, that are looking for the benefits today. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, I think I'll just interject. One of the things you threw in there was TCM, which is traditional Chinese medicine. For those that don't know that acronym, obviously you studied that a lot, both, uh, you know, here and there being in the East, which I think is amazing that you had that opportunity. I mean, where best to learn these things from those that have had them in their hereditary for generations and generations. So what a cool opportunity you had. And studying mushrooms, which are kind of in, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that bigger category, if you will, of adaptogens, right? Which are, I'll let you kind of describe, since you wrote the book with Tara, what, what adaptogens mean. I think we start to use this term a lot, and it probably means a lot of different things, but I think there's generally three sort of key parts to what an adaptogen is. Maybe you can just kind of explain that to, to us a little bit. Absolutely. So adaptions are an umbrella category of plants and mushrooms, uh, mostly plants. There's about 20 plants, 20, 25 plants, five mushrooms. It's kind of debated what is truly an adaptogen, what's not. Um, and this is because the use of these species is so much older than the term adaptogen. So yeah. adaptogen was only created this word. It comes from the Latin adaptare, which means to fit or adjust, right? To adapt. Um, and that term was coined in 1947 by this, this Russian guy, Dr. Nikolai Lazarov. Um, but, but essentially these ingredients have been used thousands of years in all different traditional lineages across the world. And what he kind of brought them together off of this basis of these three categorizations that you're mentioning. Um, and his, his goal in finding these species was he wanted to make um, the Russian population as strong, as elite, as uh, brilliant, right? You want to like win the chess competitions and go to the moon and have the most amazing athletes. And so he sent this group of researchers and scientists out around the world and say, hey, I want you to go find, you know, the most powerful nutrient dense substances that can help our people get to this, you know, uh, 
kind of elevated state. And he ended up with this group that he decided to call adaptogens. And they're all unique. They come from all over the world, but there are some key similarities. Uh, The big ones are that they're all non-toxic. So there's not a amount that you can take where you then are pushed over an edge or you're overdosed or you're experiencing kind of acute negative side effects. Um, They're more like foods or tonics in this way. Uh, Part of that non-toxicity as well is that they they aren't meant to be taken short term. So if you take, you can't really take an adaptogen once and expect to experience a benefit. Uh, they, they need to work over several weeks in the body. Uh, and, and so, yeah, we see that in many cases, like this was an elixir that the emperor royalty would consume for weeks or months on end. Uh, but yeah, really interesting to have this non-toxicity. It's kind of a low barrier to entry to people if they want to start exploring them and experimenting with them in their bodies. Um, they're all normalizing. So this is really cool. This kind of speaks to that, um, adapt to what, right? Adaptogen, you're like, they help us adapt to stressors, uh, but they're all so phytochemically rich and complex that they are, I think of it like nourishing multiple systems of the body at the same time. So rather than targeting gut health or immunity, they're really an example of treating the body like an ecosystem. And so you have a ton of minerals, you have many you know, different sugar compounds in our mushrooms or terpenes, you have this wide group of, of compounds working together that have this overall normalizing effect, often working on the HPA access, but really think of it like stress supporting normalization. Um, And then the third characteristic of an adaptogen non-toxic normalizing is then non-specific. And this is what people get totally tripped up about because we view our bodies typically in the West through the lens of, uh, I have a symptom and I'm going to treat that symptom, whether it's with a pharmaceutical or an herbal medicine, doesn't matter if we have a headache, it's like, we'll turn towards an NSAID or fever few, perhaps, you know, in the herbal realm. And that's a specific targeted action. Uh, and, and even, yeah, a lot of, uh, more medicines will work directly targeted, but even, even herbs are are often are specific. So it's like, this is specifically sedating the case of, I don't know, passion flower valerian, for example, or this is specifically um, stimulating two different areas of the body, like echinacea immune stimulating. These are just kind of big common examples, but adaptogens are non-specific And so how this works, it's kind of part of their magic, but also why people get really confused by them is they have compounds that are working in opposition to each other. So so within the same leaf or the same mushroom or the same root, there will be compounds that act like either a gas or a break effect. Um, So cacao is a really fun example when that's more familiar to people, right? The theobroma cacao tree where the bean of our chocolate derives from. And it has theobromine. So this is a compound similar to caffeine molecularly. So it's more stimulating, but then it's also one of the richest natural food sources of magnesium, right? Our, our key mineral for cellular relaxation. And so we have the, they're both exist within the same bean, stimulating, relaxing, stimulating, relaxing. So some people experience more of a, you know, calming of the nervous system when they eat cacao. Some people experience these like brain benefits getting in the flow, And so 
the, the non-specificity is the compounds that are needed in your body will have a louder effect. Um, so it can kind of put you in, you can be more relaxed, more energized. That's one example, or with the immune system, it can be more stimulated or more downregulated, right? This, this kind of seesaw gas break is happening and it's so cool because they're working like all plants, but they're, they're really working with the body and supporting each body differently based on the state of that body when it ingests the, the plant or mushroom. Yeah, no, I love what you <clears throat> mentioned in the example of cacao. I think, uh, you know, many of us think, oh, you know, chocolate is good for you. Well, it can be, you know, as long as it's not mixed with 30 other garbage ingredients, like many of the chocolates that we can find in the different, you know, stores out there. If you just get dark chocolate that has two or three ingredients that are all natural that we recognize that aren't full of emulsifiers and artificial this and that's, it's amazing. I personally love dark chocolate and it's like one of my go-to kind of sweets, if you will, but I choose, you know, greater than 70%, usually greater than 80 or so percent cacao, which is going to have much more of those beneficial qualities and avoid the sugary stuff. And, and then I mix it with some nuts. Usually that's kind of my go-to <laughs> snack. So um, amazing. Yeah. That 70, 80% is so good to think about I like to like think of it in the reverse too. So it's like, okay, if you're getting 70 or 80% of the real cacao, which is adaptogenic when it's minimally processed, the other 20, 30% will often be milk or sugar, right? So it's like reverse yeah. it. The more the higher percentage of the good stuff we can get, yeah, what are we, what's basically filling that in on the other side? Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of the sweet treats that we can think of when we think of different candies, and I know growing up, I used to love Snickers bars, for example, I would venture to say, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would say the overwhelming majority of that is the not good stuff. And then the cacao is probably, I don't know, 20%, who knows? I'm just guessing, but I'm sure it's pretty low. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the process of uh, conventional chocolate versus real cacao is very different. I actually just wrote an article of, uh, about this on women's health. We can link it, but the, the, it starts from the same place, but where they end up is so different depending on the processing that happens. And what's so unique about real whole cacao and a lot of these adaptogens is our bodies evolved with them, right? So they're whole real foods. We know how to utilize and process them. And when we take cacao and turn it into chocolate, what's typically happening is we add different compounds to separate the pure cacao powder from the fats, the cacao butter. And so you're, you're almost creating these like isolated compounds still within groups. Uh, but it's so different the way it ends up. And so the antioxidant profile is different. The mineral content is different. Uh, and yeah, so important. It's like, if you love chocolate, why not go for the, the rich superfood adaptogen variety, uh, and spare yourself. Yeah. The, the ultra process that's going to probably cause more harm on your body. Yeah, no, so true. And I, one of the things you mentioned earlier on was something about where these adaptogens grow. You didn't say specifically, but you were speaking of mushrooms, for example. And I think one of the cool things um, that we can learn from this is typically these plants or mushrooms, which are fungi, are grown in areas with a lot of, let's just say, um, physical stressors, if you will, right? They're in a harsh environment. Maybe it's in the tundra someplace. Maybe it's in an arid desert. Maybe it's, you know, who knows where it may be, but they're grown in places that 
would, would not necessarily be classified as the most, you know, fertile or easy places to grow things. Right. And because of that, they experience some sort of stress. Stress is kind of a generic term, but we like to say uh, something called hormesis, which is basically from the stress, you have good results. In other words, it, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger kind of thing. And so when you have these xenohormetics or these plants that, that have experienced stress that then in within them have special properties, the phytochemicals, as you say, they can actually benefit us in specific ways, which I think is really cool. So maybe you can just, I don't know if I, I jumbled that up, but maybe you could just kind of speak to that a little bit, the hormetic effects of some of these phytochemicals and phytonutrients. Yeah, that was perfect. I, I talk about the importance of sourcing these in the wild or from their native lands more than even other plant medicines. And it's because of this, you know, hormesis and what's going on is, as you mentioned, I'm thinking of rhodiola. I harvested rhodiola as an amazing, it's called rose root. It grows in really, really extreme climates as do most of these adaptogens. I found rhodiola in Iceland last summer, not just anywhere in Iceland. It was like on this big rocky hillside, huge boulders. There's like glaciers in the background. There's a volcano erupting over here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this beautiful little it's a succulent. It has these bright yellow flowers and these big demulcent leaves. And we use the root and it is so resilient amongst all of the stressors it's exposed to huge uh, variation in temperatures, rocky soils. And so in response, it develops compounds. A lot of these are polyphenols that are then concentrated in that plant, which make it resilient in its natural environment. And those are the key, often those are the key compounds that our bodies are then able to utilize and benefit from, be it, you know, the, the brain support or longevity or perhaps directly that stress support. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's like all this talk, especially in the mushroom space of like getting your mushroom, U.S. grown mushrooms, but oftentimes there's, are, we don't have any history in the U.S. of growing mushrooms. Like there's been some native tribes that have definitely used mushrooms, not super well documented. Uh, but a lot like 80% of mushrooms are grown in Asia and the East in China. And so how do we look to where these are growing naturally and source of course, organic whenever possible, like getting things third-party tested, we want things clean and pure. Um, but yeah, looking to these native lands is, is so critical to ensure that we're actually getting, you know, the true medicine that's been used for thousands of years and the, the same, you know, varieties that have been studied in, in the clinical trials. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. I was about to, we're on the same wavelength. I was about to ask you about, you know, research and trials that have been done with, with mush, mushrooms in specific, but other adaptogens, because I feel like that's one of the strong suits of four sigmatic, for example, is the, is the ones that you guys make available tend to all be those that have been studied quite extensively. And I think that's, you know, being a Western trained physician myself, we always go first to the data. What does the data show? It's nice if you had a personal N equals one experience where this helped you, but what do the actual data show? So maybe you could speak to that a little bit. What are maybe the most well-studied since we're on the category of mushrooms right now, maybe talk about the most well-studied mushrooms, for example. Yeah. The two that are the, the most well-studied from a clinical standpoint are reishi organoderma lucidum, the queen of mushrooms, uh, and all of TCM and all of traditional Chinese medicine, they actually rank different species based on their, 
um, kind of potencies. There's three categories uh, and Reishi is in the, the highest hierarchy. Um, these superior tonics they're called and is actually the number one rated medicine in the entire Materia Medica. So really profound. It actually was illegal for common people to use reishi. Uh, so if you found a reishi mushroom growing wild in the mountains of China, by law, you had to deliver it to the emperor's palace. Uh, and we see that there's museums dedicated to reishi. They're kind of um, sculpt, sculpted on different entryways and really the symbol of, of good luck. Um, so we have this deep lineage. And then what happened that turned kind of these groups of mushrooms into the adaptogen category is um, about in the last 70 years, they've really been put through clinical trials to say, okay, let's see what these uh, anecdotal kind of stories are telling us and what can be backed and what can be proven. Um, and there's some really, re I mean, there, there's so much with reishi. It's a, it's a huge, uh, I'm like, how many clinical trials have been done? Many, many, many clinical trials. Um, we pull out a few, we, we read through over a thousand um, to collect kind of the most potent for the purpose of the book and to keep them in one place. Uh, but yeah, with reishi, reishi, cardio, cardiovascular tonic. So really cardioprotective, um, reishi has been known a lot for, um, its ability to relax the nervous system, not in any sedative way. Um, but it's actually through its, um, kind of heart supporting cardiotonic benefits that the nervous system is, is like secondarily relaxed. Um, so you can take it morning or night. It won't put you to sleep, but really, uh, calming, gentle, we call it like our chill mushroom, uh, wonderful benefits, um, for mood. I mean, it's all connected. So we have this, like, it's like when we talk about one thing and then, okay, well, we understand that the body's an ecosystem. So it, it's like a domino effect. Um, something really interesting. I was going to mention besides reishi turkey tail, um, is another really well-studied documented, um, uh, functional mushroom. It's Tremedes versicolor or Coriolis versicolor. It actually has two Latin names, which is super weird based on where in the world you're talking about it. Um, and there's actually a similar compound, which is why I'm mentioning them back to back in both, in both reishi and turkey tail. And it's this long sugar chain called their polysaccharides. Um, and the type we find in the mushrooms are these one, three, one, six beta D glucans. So people don't have to remember this name, but what they, what they do is they're acting on, um, within our gut, within our microbiome. Uh, and of course, 70% ish of our immunity is in our gut. So there's this amazing, um, gut immune benefits, which is so foundational to the rest of our, the rest of our health. Um, so it's hard to really target and say, okay, they're only doing this. Um, but through, through this, this polysaccharide, they're, one of the most studied, um, benefits from it is this immunomodulation. So this ability to either stimulate or downregulate immune activity based on the body. Um, so these, these two mushrooms in particular, there's a lot of research in conjunction with, um, different cancer patients, non-cancer cell lines, uh, where, and it's not, it's not just using the mushroom with, um, with the, the bodies that are, are experiencing cancer, it's, it's in conjunction with conventional treatments. So with chemotherapy or with radiation, where those are coming in and actually killing the cancer cells. And then we have the mushrooms to support and reactivate 
Um, a lot of our, our important, you know, some are acting on B cells, T cells, NK cells. Um, and so instead of leaving the body in this really immune compromised state, which is why I found them so helpful too, in, in bodies with chronic immune suppression or autoimmune, um, they can, they can basically stimulate immune activity without it being a direct stimulant that, you know, is not safe to take for more than a couple of days a week at a time, they can stimulate and regulate. Um, and that's all happening within the gut through these polysaccharides and, um, with Turkey tail in specific, this was so, um, this was noted, it, I believe it was in the seventies. Um, and Turkey tail was used, um, in Japan. It's a really cool story, but, uh, this, this man was experiencing, he had, I think stage four cancer and, um, and his neighbor living next door noticed this and was watching his story. Um, and his neighbor worked for a chemical company. It was called Korea with a K K U R E H a chemical company. And, um, he was watching his neighbor and over, over the months, um, from being in this really super sick state of health, he started gaining his vitality back and he started healing and getting better. And the neighbor who worked at Korea was like, what's going on? And he, he started chatting with him and was like, what are you doing? Um, and it turns out he was taking turkey tail tea every day um, and brewing this turkey tail tea. And he went into full remission and ended up living many years longer. And so the neighbor said, hey, can I take this mushroom and bring it to the chemical company? I want to know what's going on that's acting in your body. And so they identified this polysaccharide, one of many um, that they named PSK polysaccharide K after Korea, the chemical company. Um, and that was the foundation for the first, uh, anti-cancer, um, drug derived from a mushroom called Creston still used today. Um, and so there's, yeah, I think with, with turkey tail and reishi, we have the, this kind of deepest history and the, the most robust, um, clinical trials with, you know, human trials that are, that are placebo controlled and randomized, uh, but, but yeah, there's, there's this amazing arsenal of, of research with these mushrooms, particularly that make them really unique within the world of herbal medicine. We, you know, we don't just have the stories and the lineage we have, we have the, the science to, to actually say, Hey, there's, there's this isolated compound that we were able to identify, which is what is acting in the body. Um, and of course, you know, I believe in taking, taking the whole real mushroom, even if we're just able to isolate, you know, that PSK or in ratios called ganoderic acid that we really have honed in and, and done a lot of research there. But um, it's, there's so much synergy that takes place when you're using the whole, we call it the fruiting body in the case of the mushroom, the whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's, there's, short, shortfalls to even the clinical trials and the anecdote, but, but we have both, which is the point with, with the mushrooms, which makes them kind of meet in this really, really juicy middle ground. So I, I'm curious, and I don't uh, pretend to understand the exact mechanisms and things, but in the gut, for example, the polysaccharide portion of the mushroom, is that feeding a specific specific type of bacteria, increasing the colonies of certain ones, or what do you think is really going on there at the level of the gut? The polysaccharides actually act as prebiotics. So that's, yeah. that's one of the key things that they're doing, which is so cool. And I think we're, we're finally like catching up as a medical community and saying, Oh, prebiotics, 
as if not more important than, than the probiotics in there. And so, yeah, really being that foundational aspect to recolonize a healthy gut microbiome. Um, Tara and I like to call it a microbiome because there's not just bacteria <laughs> living in there. There's so many fungi as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is a critical part. It's like, if we could take, we could take prebiotics and re-inoculate day in and day out. But if those, those probiotics don't have uh, a food source, right. To grow and, and thrive off of, then they're, they're not going to last in our gut. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I was alluding to the prebiotics being sort of the food for the actual organisms that are living there, which of course we know we'd like to have the most diverse possible, you know, the alpha diversity, you want to have lots of different strains and hopefully more of the good ones than the bad ones, you know, things like acromancia, we want to have more of, and, you know, all the different, uh, lactobacillus there's, there's a couple sort of in vogue ones out there nowadays, like the lactobacillus ruteri is kind of up and coming and the acromancia. And these are kind of the fun ones that we're talking about currently, but I think all of them, just as you mentioned, they need food, right. And the food comes in the source of these prebiotic fibers, like what's coming from these polysaccharides in the mushroom. So super, super cool. I, I also like what you said about, um, having these, or you were specifically talking about mushrooms, but as not, you know, necessarily replacing other treatments, but being in addition to, and sort of utilizing both the East and the West sort of, uh, treatments. And it's not that, you know, this should supplant or take place of, or, or either way, but we should use them all, you know, together. And I, I love that because I think that's so important. Sometimes we get so in our minds, like it has to be one or the other. I have to go by the Western treatments or go by the Eastern. Why not use all of the available, you know, treatments that have been shown to work, right? Why not all of the above? Why do we have to choose? <laughs> right? We need them. Yeah. We need both so much. And it's funny, my, um, fiance and partner of 10 years is he's a, a physician assistant and he works in the ER and it's just wild and in mental health as well. But we have these debates sometimes where we just taught totally different things. And he's like, Hey, I have a patient who's diabetic coming in. And the only food I have to give them is this like jello. What would you give them instead? And it's like, okay, let's, let's talk about giving them, you know, some, some whole real food that this doesn't contain high sugar and carbs. And, and we get to really, but then I have all these questions where, where as an herbalist, so many things, you know, we're, we're not taught there's, there's yeah, like amazing, even diagnoses. And I'm like, what does this mean? What's going on? And, and we get to have these amazing debates. And he's like saying that what medicines he's prescribing and I get to ask why. And then we get to geek out of, oh, well, did you know, you know, reishi can lower blood sugar, for example, or, or blood pressure and, and what different kind of um, cross functions can there be? And I think people are really open to um, like bringing both on board more than ever. Like it, there definitely is, we kind of have these camps, but we're kind of having this time where like, wait, what else is, what else is out there? And it doesn't have to be a replacement. I think that's a big missing thing that it's like, you have to cut this out or replace this or stop this. And instead it's like, what can we add? What can we bring on board? My philosophy with, with herbalism and nutrition is like always add before you subtract don't take away someone's, you know, gluten, even if they're really gluten intolerant, add something that's going to make them crave less of the gluten, you know, like a chromium rich food or something that they, they're not going to want as much. And we add, and then you're kind of, you're in a mentality of abundance instead of scarcity. And it's the same thing when it comes to like our choices for 
what options we have to support our body. Yeah, it could be this pill that's pharmaceutical. It could be a supplement that's coming from, I don't know, a rock, like a a mineral rich supplement. It could be a, a plant. And these are the options. And this is, you know, the time it will take. If you want to want to just use reishi, you might have to be committed to like a six month healing journey. At least if you want to, you know, feel better in a week, you might reach towards this and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, I think bringing them all to the table so that we can empower people to have, have a choice and have the knowledge of, of what exists and what, what options are out there. Yeah, no, I love that philosophy. And it's something that I always use the add rather than subtract. I mean, there's really only a couple things to subtract, right? The highly processed foods, which have what I call the evil triad, right? The highly processed sugars, highly processed grains, and then the seed oils. Like if we can avoid those three things and just have real food. I mean, the sad statistic is that there's over 2000 species of edible plants out there. And we as humans utilize three or four of them to make up almost 60% of our caloric intake. And these of course being corn and wheat and soy and rice. And that makes up 60% of all our calories when there's thousands and thousands of others that we could be using. So I love that philosophy of adding rather than subtracting and just really using the whole of what's available. Because I think nowadays, thankfully people are opening their eyes a little bit because I think a lot of physicians out there, I can speak to this, you know, being, 20 plus years in medicine and, and seen the whole gamut. But a lot of, in fact, I'm going through this now. My, my mom and my stepmom both had bad cancer right now. And they're seen oncologists who are not that open to other sort of what we might traditionally call the non-traditional treatments, like all of the stuff that we're talking about here, whether it be mushrooms, whether it be other, you know, additional sort of Eastern type treatments, traditional Chinese medicine and whatnot. They're kind of like, well, if you do that, then you can't do this. And that's totally wrong. You can do all of the above. You can utilize whatever's available, you know? And so I love that philosophy of adding rather than subtracting. And maybe we can speak of adding a couple of your favorites. I know in the book, you talk about 21 in specific uh, adaptogens. Do you have any favorites? I know they probably all are because there's probably many more than the 21, but what are sort of your current favorites and the ones that I think almost any of us could immediately add to our, to our diet or our regimen to experience benefits from what, what would those be for you? Maybe pick a couple, three, or I don't know. <laughs> um, so adaptions exist within a spectrum. Some are a little more pushy, like Eleuthero, even our rhodiola, ginseng, some are a lot more gentle, more nourishing, more in that kind of food category. And I would always start in the gentle side of things. Uh, and so in that area, we have ashwagandha, which is amazing. One of the more well-known adaptogens. Ashwagandha has surpassed green juices in Google searches. Like this is crazy. People are open to using this weird Indian root, um, which is wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's such amazing. We call it um, Latin name. I love saying the Latin name. It's like really helping to um, make sure people are getting what they're actually intending to get. There's so much marketing riffraff riff out there. Um, but ashwagandha with Thania somnifera, so amazing. It's um, in Sanskrit, they kind of call it like horse root um, in India. And the metaphor, when I was living in India, I was told it's not, it's not because it does have like a little equine smell to it, the root itself. <laughs> but I was told it makes you as strong, as graceful as a stallion right? This like really beautiful, grounded grace, endurance to move through life. Um, and part of that is it, it's the somnifera, the, the second name in, in Latin is 
is about sleep inducing, right? And so it's an amazing adaptogen. I think so often we're thinking like, how can I prop myself up and have this quick fix and energy and focus and cognitive support? And it really comes down to how we're sleeping, right? What, what have we done the night before to prepare us to wake up naturally with that amount of energy and brain or body? Um, and so ashwagandha is a great option for that. Um, it has a really deep affinity with women's health. And so I love pairing it with um, other herbs like shatavari. I didn't actually talk about in the book, but really nice pairing for, for women's health and reproductive system, um, just mood and stress in general. Um, again, we like can't put these into a box. It's so funny. We're, we want to be like this for this. Um, and yet we have to keep an open mind and be like, this is why I chose kind of three key benefits for each of them. Um, but yeah, you have to stay open and see how it's going to move and, and work within your body. But ashwagandha is a great, safe, nourishing option. I'll mention, um, if people are sensitive to nightshades, this is something to be aware of with ashwagandha. It's actually in the nightshade family. Um, so you know, the, the fruit kind of looks like a tomato or pepper, right? It has the classic, like green elfish cap of some of our other nightcaps, like bell peppers and eggplant and tomatoes. Um, but otherwise it's, it's really safe for the majority of, of people. Um, and uh, yeah, a great kind of evening option to start with. Um, another I'll mention from the Ayurvedic realm is Tulsi or Holy Basil. This is amazing. This is in the mint family, our Lamiaceae, our mint family. So this is so gentle. Um, mints have an affinity towards like respiratory and digestive health. Um, and holy basil, particularly, it's known as being tridoshic, which is essentially a, a way to say it, it works for all bodies, right? And in, in Ayurveda, there's three doshas or body types, but regardless of where you're at, you know, or knowing your body type or your stress level or whatever, it's really, it's gentle. Um, and it's known as a wisdom herb, which is really amazing in, in Ayurveda. So similar to Reishi, how Reishi is known in TCM, it's thought to work on the, the physiological, the mental, the emotional and the spiritual levels. Um, it's actually thought to be kind of a, a connection between the humans and the gods, uh, but really so much, it, it sounds a little heady, but so much of what we go through in our health is, is, is stories and, and what are we telling our, our patterns of our mind. And so a lot of times we don't want to face this, right? Give me something to, to put me to sleep. I'm like, well, what, what's, what's the stressor? What, what patterns have you been repeating in your head that have created neural pathways to continue you in this maybe unhealthy pattern? And so by bringing like I talk about flower essences a lot, but bringing something like Tulsi on board that can really help us get out of our mind and drop into our body um, can be really helpful. And, and both these, both these herbs are, um, they're, they're kind of like foundational to seeing someone's health picture. So it's like, if you don't really know what's going on or you're experiencing headaches or digestive issues, or you're exhausted or whatever it might be, and you're like, I don't really know where to start moving in this category of like the nourishing longevity kind of mood supporting adaptogens can be uh, really clarifying because they're supporting our stress response to the point that sometimes we have these symptoms we don't think are related to stress. I'm sure you see this all the time. It's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not stressed. I just need something for like this symptom. It's like, okay, well, if you support the stress response gently with these 
like a, a potent ashwagandha or Tulsi extract, uh, a lot of times those symptoms go away. And if not, we at least get a clearer picture of what was a kind of secondary reaction to the stress and what still remains. And so it's a really, I love starting here because it's almost like clearing the fog on the window. It's like, okay, I see there's all this, we're confused. We don't know where to start. Let's get your body out of an acute state of stress. Let's support sleep. Let's support your, your emotional and, and spiritual wellness through the, the compounds in the Tulsi. And then what symptom pictures are we left with? And you can kind of work in a more directed way that, that is paying attention to the root of these problems um, by bringing, by bringing one of those on board, you know, in the first few weeks. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Tulsi or Holy Basil and Ashwagandha. I, the way I look at those is, uh, if you're human, they're probably going to help you. Like there's almost <laughs> nobody that can't benefit from these things. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of people out there that you probably know who I'm referring to that say that anything that comes from a plant is not good for you. And that just doesn't make any sense at all to me. Like, Oh, they're phytochemicals, they're plant protective mechanisms, and you shouldn't eat them because they're the defense chemicals. And I just think this is a little ridiculous. I mean, we've been eating both plants and animals for millennia for millennia, you know, and there's all kinds of amazing properties. In fact, for those that do eat meat, there's actually new studies looking at the type of herbs and grasses that, that these animals graze on and the more different grasses and the different, like you're mentioning all these specific, you know, adaptogenic ones, if they're grazing off these, we potentially as the end consumer may even get some of the benefits from the grasses that these animals have eaten. So I, I just think that there's such a need to have, you know, as many of these good things in our diet as possible. And so I just love that, uh, you know, really anybody could benefit from ashwagandha, holy basil or Tulsi and yeah. just a great, great place uh, to start. So thank yeah, you for that. Of um, course. So, so right now you and uh, Taro just released a new book, which is, is recently available. Um, which is healing adaptogens. And maybe was there any specific uh, thing you wanted to share with respect to that? Obviously I kind of, I kind of gave it away. There's 21 specific adaptogens that you talk about, but maybe uh, leave us wanting a little bit, what can we expect to get out of the book and, and where can we go get it? And, and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's to me, it's like the book I wish had existed a decade ago when I started diving into adaptogens. Um, there's all of this like blogs and short bullet points and all this stuff on adaptions all over the internet. And a lot of it is not true. It's not backed by research or anecdotal use. And, um, this book is that combination. It's like the ancient stories, the lineages, it's, it's real client stories from both Tara and I's private practices. Um, and it's, it's the gold standard study. So it's all compiled into one place meant to be this really comprehensive guide that also is very accessible. If you're totally new to new to adaptogens, we want you to be able to pick up this book and have the confidence to start using them. So we go through each one, we go through best friends, we call them. So different ingredients that you can add, like, you know, black pepper and turmeric, for example, but others that you can add together to, to increase their potency or bioavailability in the body. Um, we, we ended with a shopping guide, which I think is really awesome for people. So part of it, we mention, um, specific brands that you can go purchase So the small health food stores or big, big box stores, um, online in person. But we also have a, 
um, it was like 10 commandments of adaptogens. And then they're the things to look for when you're buying them. So there's all new brands coming on the market and there will be for years to come. So this is really meant to be an evergreen book to last us for many decades. And so it's kind of like teaching the, the human man or woman to fish instead of giving them that fish. And so we go through exactly what to look for if you're out in the marketplace to make sure that you actually get the benefits from these things. It's like the most expensive supplement is the one that doesn't work. Um, so, and I see this and it drives me crazy with people using mushrooms and adaptogens. And they're like, I tried it. It didn't, it didn't do much for me. I'm like, all right, was it the right form? Was it the right, you know, part of the, the mushroom? Was it the fruiting body versus, you know, the root of ashwagandha? What was the dosing? Like, was it extracted properly? How was the quality? You know, where was it sourced from the xenohermesis? Like, so really, um, just kind of, it's like your go-to, like, I feel like I could bring it into stores and be like, okay, let me check this thing goes through Latin names, common names. So no matter what country you're in or where you are in the world, you can still access this information. Um, and yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a really one-stop shop on, um, all this information that's out there sorting through the riffraff. And I know we can get free information online, but it's like, it's rare that we have it condensed in a place that's vetted. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, for the first time in history, these adaptogens are accessible to us in a way like never before, you know, we can order them on Amazon or go to Costco or whole foods and, and get them tomorrow where you used to have to be in the Royal palace to get it, or, you know, hike miles and, and trade so much of your valuables for a cacao bean. And now they're right here for us. And we're in a place where we're more stressed than ever before. We're more nutrient deficient than ever before. And these can offer and support us and really act as allies um, for exactly these things that we're looking for help with and all, I think, the wrong ways. And so there's this amazing kind of um, matching happening. And I'm just hoping that this book is, is the bridge, right, between where we are now and a life of, of more vitality when we can bring these into, into our daily routines. Yeah. Wow. Great, great summary of, I mean, really there's so much at our fingertips nowadays. And I think you guys have really done the hard work to kind of put this together, make it readable, understandable. And so you don't have to go out and forge them yourself necessarily. Although I kind of want to go to Iceland. I kind of want to go to these crazy places and just see, I think it would be amazing. I, I love to travel and, but I don't think it's realistic for most of us to be out and about trying to forage all these different species of, uh, you know, plant and animal adaptogens, uh, plant and mushroom adaptogens, I should say. Yep. But, um, yeah, what a, what a great thing you and Tara have done as, uh, I don't know if everybody knows Tara is the founder of, uh, four Sigmatic, which uh, is an amazing company and you guys are sourcing the best quality, you know, adaptogens out there. So kudos and, and good work on that. Um, where can people reach out to you and Tara and how can we find more of you and of your work and, uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, right on. Um, you can find both of us at foursigmatic.com or on at foursigmatic on all social channels. Uh, you can find me at Danielle Ryan Broida or Danielle Ryan wellness.com. And Taro, if you want to check him out too, is at on social um, at I am Taro, T E R O. That's awesome. And that's uh, four spelled. F-O-U-R. That's the whole word for Four Sigmatic for those that aren't familiar. And so I hope you'll check out them and, and Danielle and Taro specifically and just, uh, you know, let them know what you're learning and loving. And uh, I just appreciate you, Danielle, for coming on. I know Taro kind of wanted to, but he recently had a baby. He and his wife had their second boy 
I think, uh, uh, in the last week or so. So yeah, five days ago. <laughs> so that's amazing. Um, geez, just, uh, props to both of you guys for, for just doing great work and just keep it up and keep sharing because I really feel like the time is better than ever for people to really be learning about these things because we're more stressed than we've ever been probably in the history of humanity right now. Like what, who hasn't had lots of different stress and anxiety the last couple of years and the, the two, you know, adaptogens you just mentioned right now, today, ashwagandha and the holy basil, like those both can help significantly with that. So thanks for being a part of the show today, Danielle, really appreciate you. Um, just keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my honor and pleasure. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I learned a whole lot, actually. I did not know a whole ton about adaptogens prior to this episode. And Danielle just really dropped some amazing nuggets on some really cool, I think quite available ones that you can grab. And if you haven't tried any of these or you want to try one of my favorites, I do have one that I love. I pretty much drink it every night. It's one of their products, Danielle and Taro over there at Four Sigmatic. And it is an evening kind of uh, cacao, like a hot chocolate, but none of the bad stuff. It actually has cacao and it has medicinal mushrooms. And I get the best sleep every night thanks to this product. And if you want to try it, you can hop on over there to their website and uh, type in my code, which is D-R-T-H. And uh, you can grab some of that and get a discount. And what I want you to really take away from this episode is there are so many things on this planet, on this earth that can help us to live better, to live longer, and to just thrive each and every day because there are both plant and animal products out there that are so helpful for our bodies. We are built to thrive and we are here in this environment and we can give back and we can do so much and do so many things and why not take advantage of all of those wonderful plants that are available to us and Danielle really crushed it today and I hope you learned something and until next time aloha